0: Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. Your mostly weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for the show. I'm flying solo again. And just as a heads up, this should be a relatively short show. I mean, you guys can already see the runtime, whereas I am recording it, so I don't know what it's going to wind up being just yet. But we've had a fairly quiet week and just the one event to discuss. And really, only a couple of fights from that are worth talking about. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump into that again. This will be a fairly straightforward show. There is no event this coming Saturday. This coming Saturday being the 4th of July here in the United States, a fairly big holiday. But the week after, uh, July 11th, is UFC 251, which is... uh, a big card. That is a big big card. So next week we'll be back here to give you a full preview of that uh, but yeah, that's a that's a good one. That is a really good card. Probably talk about a little bit about it again at the end of the episode as well. So let's just jump into things here. UFC on ESPN 12 last well last night as I recorded, Saturday. Uh, Shorter event, um, got started a little bit earlier, only had 10 fights on the card. Um, and now, wh- there was supposed to be a couple of fights here that wound up pulling out. I think so it was originally scheduled for 12. But we lost the fight between Aspen Ladd and Sarah McMahon when Aspen Ladd uh, destroyed her knee. And then another women's fight, uh, Mara Marrero-Barella and Miranda Maverick was pulled out. So they just went ahead with 10 fights. Um, I think I said last week, this was not a deep card on paper, but the main event was phenomenal. And uh, yeah, the main event was phenomenal. In your main event, Dustin Poirier defeats Dan Hooker via unanimous decision. 248-47s, 148 I don't really object to Poirier getting a 10-8 fifth, which, would, which is what led to 48-46. Um, this was an absolutely bonkers fight. Dan Hooker came out in the first couple of rounds and looked really... he I wouldn't say he had Poirier's number in the sense that he was, you know, running away with it, but he he was getting to him a lot. Uh doing some good body work, doing some really good leg kicks. Um, Poirier still struggles a little bit with leg kicks. I mean, Jim Miller tore up his calf when they fought. Uh, Justin Gagey tore his quad, I think it was, with leg kicks. And Hooker had a lot of success here. In fact, I think one of the things that contributed to Poirier's comeback in this fight was Hooker getting away from those. Uh, These two, first, again, first two rounds go to Hooker. Um, He's fighting, he fights long, very well. Now, let me be clear, Poirier lands as well. Uh, These two, uh, this fight, I think, broke the record for a five-fight UFC, for a five-fight, five-round fight, excuse me, five-round fight in the UFC for total strikes landed. I think if you break that down to significant strikes, it's top five material. Uh, So, so you understand, the pace these two fought at was insane. Things slowed down a little bit in the third, but uh, this was, this was a bonkers fight. Uh, And Hooker was winning the early exchanges. He, I I think we all kind of figured he'd do well if the fight was really long, he did very well in the pocket too. Anytime they got really close, he was digging to the body. So was Poirier. They both landed uppercuts. They were both landing elbows. At the end of the second, uh, Hooker lands a, re- a couple of really nice knees from the clinch, and Poirier's hurt badly there. And then uh, I'm not going to say saved by the battle in the sense that he was, you know, out on his feet, but. He got wobbled a couple of times in that second round. And if there's, you know, 15, 20 seconds more in that round, maybe he fights out of it because Dustin Poirier is a great fighter. But I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if you can extend that sequence a little bit longer if Dan Hooker doesn't win. Uh, when we get into the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, Hooker gets away from his kicking game a little bit. He's absorbed a lot of damage at this point, and he kind of falls into trying to wrestle Poirier, which is a really difficult proposition. Um, It's not that Hooker didn't... He got a few takedowns, but uh, on a bunch of them, Poirier threatened him with a guillotine, used that to scoot to get up quickly. Poirier's a very hard guy to get down and he's even harder to keep there. But Hooker kind of fell into that trap, and they spent a lot... some more time clinching, some more time grappling, and both men are good grapplers, so it wasn't boring. But I think that wound up sapping a little bit of Hooker's energy, and Dustin Poirier has... Another thing we don't talk about enough with him, I guess... We talk about his punching power, which is good. His accuracy, which is, again, very good. His defense, which has has improved a lot. Uh, The man's gas tank is pretty crazy. I mean, at the end of this fight, they go all five rounds. It's hard rounds at a crazy pace. And Dan Hooker, at the end of it, is kind of sitting on the canvas... And just, like, getting his wind back. And Poirier's up walking around. And he's still... He's bust... Both men were busted up. Uh, Poirier around the right eye was really jacked up. Uh, Hooker's right eye... Might have been Poirier's left. Excuse me, I can't remember which one. Uh, Hooker had a couple of nasty cuts around his, his right eye. Uh... Both met they put they put each other through the woodshed through the wood chipper right they just they went to the they killed each other to the body you know, hooker did a number on Poirier's legs they both wore, were just you know bloodied and bruised up and swollen in the face uh, just a war an absolute war these two hit each other with serious serious punches uh Dan Hooker's chin is something else. I mean, Poirier can punch. Uh, He's probably, if we're talking about just like raw, you know, punching a bag power, he's probably second or third in the division. And Hooker just ate it. Uh, Just ate those shots. And Hooker landed... A lot, of, a lot of volume. And Hooker is not a light puncher himself. He's got some... He's got some zing on his punches. And, apart, again, apart from that knee, I don't think Poirier was even... He got wobbled with a punch. And then the knee kind of... That one, I think he even said after the fact that he kind of went out for a second on that. But these two, just... Plenty of other fighters would have been done in the second round. From the shots, either man were landing. Uh, just incredible chins on both guys. Incredible heart. Incredible skill. Uh, to make the adjustments they made, Poirier started pressuring. Again, they fe- they started wrestling a bit more, clinching a little bit more as the fight went on, which was to Poirier's advantage. Uh, Poirier started keeping things, you know, more in boxing range, and kept a pace that Hooker didn't really look like he could maintain. I don't want to say that Dan Hooker's cardio is bad, because I don't think that's accurate. But he struggled a little bit down the stretch with Paul Felder, too. And I think it's something to pay attention to in terms of his output, and maybe whether or not people just the style that he fights at is not something he can maintain over a prolonged period of time. I might be wrong. Again, we're talking about Paul Felder and Dustin Poirier, two very high-level fighters. So it's not like, you know, the average guy in the on the roster is having is going to be able to replicate this. But it if we're talking about him against the very best, it does bear paying attention to. Uh, Just, again, absolutely glorious fight. Uh, This is going to finish high in the discussion for Fight of the Year for 2020 when it's all said and done. Man, 2020 is spoiled for choices when it comes to Fight of the Year so far. I can think of three. Four, actually, now that I think about it. Sorry. I've got four kind of just off the top of my head that... I mean, you you couldn't go wrong, really, because uh, twenty twenty has seen Joanna versus while uh, Joanna and Chick and Wiley Zhang, which was crazy, crazy fight. Uh, you had Dan Hooker and you know, Hooker and Poirier here. You had Hooker and Paul Felder. I uh, I think that was. That might have been end of 20... That might have been end of 19. Let me double-check that. No, that was February of 2020. So, Hooker's given us two. Uh, And you had Tony versus Gagey, which I think of the listed ones is probably a little further down on the list because it was less competitive than the others. But... I mean, come on. We're just about to cross over the halfway mark for the year, and those are some profoundly great fights. I mean, if you want to, if we open it up to three-round fights as well, which it is, it's not limited to five-round fights. I mean, Burgos and Emmett, just you know, last week had a heck of a fight. Uh, yeah, we're a little spoiled for choices here when it comes to fight of the year for 2020 so uh my credit to both men uh heck of a fight heck of a performance for, uh, performance out of both men um i don't know quite where either man goes from here in the immediate future um hooker's beaten a fair number of guys on his way up here. Uh, I mean, this is only his second loss at lightweight. Uh me up the rankings. For however little they're worth, but... Because Hooker was five, he'll probably fall a little bit. You could do Hooker and Oliveira. I think would... is, is a real thing you could do. Um, Poirier, who's number three coming into this, um, he's going to be a little bit on the outside looking in depending on how the main of... depending on how Tony versus... excuse me, how Khabib versus Gagey goes. Uh, Because if Khabib beats Gagey, a rematch between Khabib and Poirier is not an impossible sell, but it's kind of a tough... tougher sell. I mean, can we uh, can we just take half a second here and appreciate how good Khabib is? All right, look look at Dustin Poirier. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's you know, coming back, needing hip surgery, uh, comes, fights this war with Dan Hooker, comes back from being down two rounds, wins the next three. Uh, tremendous, tremendous competitor, and Khabib shut him out, then finished him in the third. Just remarkable now if Gagey beats Khabib I think Poirier is absolutely your next up Um, unless they want to do an immediate rematch with Khabib which they might I mean mean, beating Khabib is going to be a is not only a tall task but given his body of work you're probably going to have to do it twice but if Khabib winds up, or the, if the timing doesn't quite work out, um, a second fight between Gagey and Poirier is uh, is a very real thing that could happen. And really, it if uh, I mean they had a great fight the first time. That was before Gagey had kind of sh- has kind of shifted his style. I would favor Gagey this time around. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Poirier beat him again. He's demonstrated he can. But those... Poirier's title hopes kind of hinge on how Gagey versus Khabib goes. Um, if he wants to take something else in the interim, I mean, dare we even hope for the glorious violence fest that would be Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson? Because... Hook that into my veins, man. That would just be that would be so good. <laughs> uh so yeah, Hooker's probably gonna have to fight somebody below him. So I Olivera maybe. Uh he's already beat Ally Quinta. Kevin Lee possibly maybe. I mean, there's going to be some movement at the lower part of the top 15 in the near future anyway. Uh, Makachev's going to have a fight coming up. is going to have a fight coming up. So there's some potential there. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not anxious to book either of these guys again in some kind of a great hurry. They put themselves through hell. And if they both take, you know, th- eh, three months off of just, you know, not... Worrying about fighting, I wouldn't blame either of them. I mean, they both went to the hospital after this fight, to the shock of no one. Um, anyway, great, great fight. My hat's off to both of them. Thank you. Uh, just an absolute war and absolute privilege to watch that fight. Great fight. The rest of this card was a little bit less all that interesting. Uh, co-main event... Mike Perry defeats Mickey Gall via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, Gall actually looked pretty good in the first round. Straight punches, smart movement. He was finding angles, firing a straight right. Uh, He just couldn't really keep that up as Mike Perry kept pressuring him. Uh, Gall... I wonder to the extent that Welterweight is really his ideal weight class. I wonder if he might not be better off trying his hand at middleweight. I uh, know that might not fix his cardio issues anyway, but I uh, just potentially a thought. Uh I don't know what Perry does. I mean, he's fought some guys near the top fi- in the top 15, but I mean, Mike Perry is just kind of a novelty attraction fighter at this point, which is not to say he's not a good fighter. He is. But he's not really going to make a run or anything like that at this point. Uh, and as for Gall, eh. I mean, he, he'll probably keep taking up space on the roster, but... And again, he he looked good for as long as he looked good. He's also just a young guy who's still got a ways to go in his development. And, I mean, all but one of his professional fights have been in the UFC. Which is not doing him any favors, by the way. So, and Terry's uh, a tough t- uh, tough fight for most people, anyway. Goal so, will probably stick around. I'm curious to see how he looks as he continues to develop. Uh, in your moment of hilarity for this card, Maurice Green defeated John Volante <laughs> via arm triangle choke from the bottom <laughs> in the third round of this abominable fight. <laughs> oh, God. I I laughed when this happened. I just laughed. There's no other possible response. It, it's not that hitting an arm triangle from... The, choke from the bottom is this, uh, impossibility. I mean, Aljamain Sterling tapped somebody with an arm triangle choke from the bottom in the UFC. I can't remember the fight. It doesn't happen often because it's a fairly easy thing to avoid, but if you're going to get it, you actually kind of want to have, you know, full guard, so you have some control and extra leverage. Uh volante tapped out here just it's not that the choke wasn't in but he was tired he didn't quite know how to get out of it was just it was a hilarious thing and it was just funny to watch um after the fight green said he'd be down to fight tanner Bozier who had a good win earlier on the prelims sure make that fight it's it's low level heavyweights who cares um, John Volante should not be in the UFC anymore at this point. I I facetiously say he probably shouldn't have been brought over when they bought Strike Force because he's not really added anything of value to the organization. Uh but just everything he's done recently has just not been good. Um Actually, a former, I believe, former forward one contributor, Alex Rella, uh, on Twitter when I was laughing at this fight, requested my top five John Vellante moments, which is one of those uh, one of those uh, lists or books that should be on the shelf right next to Dan Marino's Guide to Winning the Super Bowl, or you know, things Bill, things Hillary loves about Bill, just. <laughs> Non existent list, but in, in the spirit of, in the spirit of, uh, okay, what are five moments with the guy that I can look back on and be kind of, uh, kind of okay with? Uh, I'm looking at his uh, resume right now, and believe it or not, if I were to craft my top five John Volante moments, uh, one would be him getting stopped by Chad Griggs. <laughs> Remember Chad Griggs when he stopped Bobby Lashley and then stopped John Volante, and we thought, hey, maybe there's something here. Uh, his next fight, he got beat up by a blown-up Lorenz Larkin. Larkin would fight all the way down at Welterweights, uh, handled him pretty easily. So there's, there's two. Um, him getting knocked out by Tom Lawler... <laughs> <laughs> that was so great, because <laughs> it, it. Oh, by by no reasonable metric should that have happened, but it did. Um. I mentioned this fight before as one that uh, just kind of made me sad, for a variety of reasons, but his fight with uh, Shogun. Because Shogun in anything approximating his prime takes John Volante apart. Shogun at that point in his career was a flat-footed brawler exactly like Volante, and we got what we got. Uh, okay, so that's four. One more John Volante. I'm just going to go with this one. Just tapping out the way he did to the move he did. <laughs> Yeah, so for those interested, that's my top five John Volante moments. Falling to the Grave Digger Chad Griggs, uh, welterweight Lorenz Larkin, uh, getting knocked out by Tom Lawler, uh, the fight with Shogun. Just because seeing Shogun win, I think, has to give somebody you know, you, if you watched Shogun at all when he was the man. Seeing him win again, even if it... It was, again, very bleak in terms of Shogun's future. But it feels good to watch the guy win. And then the arm getting tapped with an arm triangle choke from the bottom. Just... That is just like chef's kiss heavyweight MMA right there. Uh, another good fight, actually, on this card. Brandon Allen defeated Kyle Dawkins via unanimous decision. Uh... T- 29-28, 29-27, and 30-27. These two had a really good fight. They both battered each other. Allen landed some pretty sick elbows from top position. Uh, Dawkus landed on Allen. Allen, I think, broke some bones in his face. Um. Really, Brendan Allen was, I think, ranked number 13 in the UFC. And Dawkins came in and, uh, again, lost, but... Didn't really look out of place, so credit to those two. That was a pretty good fight. Takashi Sato defeated Jason Witt via TKO in 48 seconds. Uh, Just a pretty clinical one-two from Sato. Dropped Witt, pounced on him. Witt tried to come up on a single leg. Sato limp legs, uppercuts him. That's kind of all she wrote. Uh, Julian Arosa defeated Sean Woodson via Darce Choke, 244 of the third I don't really have anything here. Wasn't a bad fight, but... Eh. On the prelims, Kama Worthy defeated Violent Bob Ross, Luis Peña via guillotine choke, 253 of the third. Worthy had a really good first round. He kept hitting Peña to the body with rights. Uh, Second round, Peña gets his back and holds it for a while. Peña has really good back taking. Third, little bit of back and forth, and then... Peña comes in on a head inside single. Worthy's able to switch his hips so it's head outside, grabs the guillotine as they're going down, and Peña taps. Uh, that's Worthy's second UFC win, and a pretty good one. So, I don't know that Worthy's, you know, going to wind up a genuine contender at lightweight, but lightweight, lightweight's deep enough that that's a really difficult proposition, but it's also deep, so there's a lot of people that could do it. Uh, the aforementioned Tanner Bozier defeated Felipe Lins via KO punches, 241 of the first. Um, Bozier wound up kind of clubbing Lins with kind of a forearm. Took an angle, hit a clean 1 2, and his finishing sequence was brutal. Uh, solid work from Bozier here. Uh, women's strawweight Kay Hansen defeated Jin Yu uh, Fry via armbar, 226 of the third. Fry had a good first. Uh, Hansen struggled on the feet. Second round, Hansen gets her down. Third round, Hansen hits a really sweet back take to armbar. Actually, that finishes it. Uh, Dustin Hazlett hit a very similar one. Uh, you, they were clinched up. Uh, I forget which arm of Hansen's was the overhook. Probably would have been her left. Uh, So she's got a wizard with that, and then as Fry tries to get the takedown, she uh, wizards down hard, so they both kind of go belly down, and then with her left leg steps all the way over instead of taking the back all the way to attack the armbar. Has to adjust it a few times, but ultimately gets it. It was a nice finishing sequence. And then kicking everything off, Yusuf Zalal defeated Jordan Griffin via unanimous decision, 29-28. Across the board, the fight existed. I don't have a whole lot there. Uh, Again, this event anchored by the main event, but heck of a main event. I'm not complaining about that. That main event felt like a pay-per-view main event. And it was a genuinely great fight. And the rest of the card pretty much avoided being so bad that I wanted to pull my eyes out. So we'll call that a win. Uh, Again, there is no event coming up this coming Saturday, so I think the only news related item that I saw this week. Uh, UFC welterweight champion Kamaru Usman ahead of his defense against Gilbert Burns. The two were training, were at the same gym, so it's teammates, and I think they would trained together. Uh, Gilbert Burns. They used to be under Henry Hooft at Hard Knocks 365. Uh, I don't know exactly when this happened. Uh, this might have been, this move might have been done earlier. But Usman has been training out of the... I think the Elevation fight team with Trevor Whitman ahead of this fight. Uh, I'm just going to say it. The thought of Usman under the tutelage of Trevor Whitman is terrifying. Usman is already an unbelievable wrestler for MMA. He's got power... And Trevor Whitman has a fairly good track record of taking grappling-based fighters and helping them find a striking system that works for them at very high levels. I mean, he took Rosanama Yunus from kind of a one-note grappler to a woman who knocked out Ioana Janjacek and then fairly comprehensively outstruck her in the rematch. I mean, people forget that just people forget Justin Gaethje's background as a you know, Division One All-American wrestler, and look at what he look at how he fights now. I mean, even the even the shift that Gaethje took from the time he debuted in the UFC to his current form is amazing. If that winds up being a good fit, now not every coach is going to gel with every fighter, but if if those two wind up, you know, resonating properly, the thought of what Trevor Whitman could do with Kamaru Usman over the course of a few years in terms of getting him comfortable getting him really comfortable striking, getting him into the proper system. That's Usman's already almost I wouldn't he's not completely unbeatable. And Gilbert Burns offers some very real challenges. Mosfidal offers very real challenges. Covington gave him problems. So he's not some unbeatable monster. But he is already the best welterweight in the world with a fairly... uh, His striking game is kind of meat and potatoes. And that's not a negative. Because doing those properly is... You know, the foundation of everything you have to build upon, doing them properly to begin with is a difficult thing. But if he is able to find that right system for him striking-wise, to blend that with his overwhelming strength, his clinch work, his groundwork um, again, that's profoundly scary. To think about what might come out of that partnership if that actually develops into something more than a kind of one-off related to this fight, to his fight with Burns coming up. Uh, you know the old uh, the old ju- old saying. You know, if you were going to beat me, you should have done it yesterday because I'm only getting better. Uh, Kamar Usman is a not unbeatable, but it's going to take a f- Superhuman effort, I think, to beat him at this point. Uh, so I think that was the only news was just you know, Usman training out of elevation. There's, it also is worth noting, while Usman doesn't fight the same way you know Khabib does. If you want to get, because there's uh, footage of him and Justin Gagey doing some lights, uh, doing some you know sparring drills or whatnot. But if you want if you wanted to prepare for Khabib, um, you could do worse than doing some than doing some rounds with Kamaru Usman. Uh Gagey's one of the few guys I think who really kind of understands Khabib's game, and will be prepared to attack it in the way it needs to be attacked. So I I, I really can't wait for that fight either. In all honesty. <laughs> Uh, I think that's everything. Let's uh, refresh Twitter here. See if anything crazy has happened. Well, anything crazy related to MMA. There's plenty of crazy things that happened all that happen all the time. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be it. So yeah, very short episode. This particular week, um, what do I got for plugs? Um, let's see. Yep. Again, there's my full report for UFC on ESPN 12. My report for the ml the latest MLW anthology episode on YouTube. This time, focusing on Contra Unit, is up in the wrestling zone somewhere, I believe. Or at least it should be. It's written and submitted. <laughs> Uh, no event this coming Saturday. I don't think there's a... There's not a Damn You Hollywood this week. Um, poor Mark. Uh, the schedule got shifted around again. <laughs> uh, I think the next time... I'm going to be on there for one of the upcoming shows in July. Uh, I think a couple of weeks from now. Then there'll be one in August... There's not a lot of movies coming out right now at the moment, guys. So damn you, Hollywood is doing the best we can. But you can find uh, you can find me. The other thing, in, yeah, August is August is going to be busier for me when it comes to podcasting than July is, I think. So uh, you can be on the lookout for that over on the and Broadcasting Network, and uh, of course, you know, we'll be back next week when we have a look at. UFC 251. Ugh. That is such a... It just needs to be said. That that triple main event, man. Usman and Burns, Volkanovski Holloway 2, and Jan versus Aldo. You can nitpick them. And I, I've made that case. But I'm not going to complain about those fights. I'm just not going to do it. Those are... Those are some great fights. And... There's a couple of good fights on the prelims. Um, Eliza Zaleski dos Santos against Muslim Salakoff is pretty crazy. Uh, okay, so it's basically that, but uh, that's a really good fight. So next week we'll have a full preview of that of, of that card. Uh, I have a lot of tape to watch on some of those guys. <laughs> That'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, I will hope to see you all then. Until next time, everyone, again, thank you very much. Continue Sorry, stay safe out there. I was going to say continue to stay safe out there, but then I was going to use continue again because of my normal outro, so... My bad. Stay safe out there. And please, continue to be well, be safe, and behave.